0: a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: You don't have to
2: be another face in the crowd. Hi, folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't, coming to you today with episode 641. It is Monday, April the 11th, and I am coming to you today from Arlington, Texas. Uh, but it will be one of the last shows with that. In fact, next week, for the very first time, you will hear me get on the air at some point. It will be probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and you'll hear me say, Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast, coming to you for the first time from Hot Springs, Arkansas. That move is almost over. We do have a lot of stuff to do yet, and a lot of it involves getting rid of excess crap I didn't even know we had. Uh, it is amazing to me how much stuff you could accumulate over eight years of living in a large home, stuff you didn't really need, and I mean, with, we've given stuff to charity, we've sold some things, uh, we're getting to a point now where we have some stuff left over, but I don't think charity would want it, I don't think anybody would want it, and uh, I wonder why we have it, uh, to the point where we might even rent a small dumpster just to get rid of everything, um, but... The good news is it's almost done. It's almost completely over. I'll be making a run-up again next week, dragging the RV and parking it up there full-time, uh, taking some more stuff with me and doing some shows from there. And Dorothy will probably join me later in the week. She'll be driving the former personal mobile studio, the uh, Jetta, and the uh, Jedi will permanently live in Hot Springs after next week, isn't that? Cool. Uh, before we get into today's main topic, which of course is your questions, comments, commentary, articles, etc., send to me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com That's what we do every Monday. If you want to send me something like that, give it the appropriate subject line. It would be article for Jack or comment for Jack or question for Jack. Uh, and then send that to jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com I'll try to get you on the air. I do get several hundred emails like that a day now, so I can't guarantee i'll get everybody's on but i'll do what i can to get you on a monday show also remember you can call 866-65-THINK 866-65-THINK your odds of getting on a friday show with a call are running about 90 percent right now versus about maybe five percent right now with an email so do think about calling your question comment or commentary in Um, I do want to go ahead and take care of our sponsors, get the housekeeping done so I can get in and knocking this out. I've got to do the show quickly today. I've got painters coming in today uh, to throw me out of my office here so we can get the house ready for sale. So let's get right into it. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey guy at Directive21.com. You know, I talk about five primary elements of survival, and the first one I always talk about is, is usually food just because it comes out of my mouth first, but the one that comes next and the one that should always come first to me is water. Water is the one thing. If I cut you off of water for 48 hours, you're dead. I mean, that, that's about as long as anybody's ever gone. 48 hours, and maybe a few people have gone a little bit longer, but you're probably not one of them. And you can be in very, very severe problems with water uh, if you go as little as six to eight hours without water in the wrong environment. What does that mean? It means we need to have a way to make sure we have safe, clean drinking water no matter what happens. And to me the best way to do that is with a Berkey system. I also think they give you the most bang for your buck and making that water that comes out of your tap that people take for granted and drink every day a little bit safer to drink by getting nasty stuff out of there that they put into it. Uh some with good reason, like chlorine, they put that in there so that we don't get, you know, uh toxins into our tap water. Uh but then they put other things in there that I have no 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 good reason for like fluoride. Fluoride's a toxin. Uh, there's no good reason for it to be in your drinking water. Drinking fluoride for your teeth is like drinking suntan lotion for your skin. It just doesn't make any sense. Berkey can help you make that water safe to drink in the bad times and make it safer to drink in the good times. Check out the Berkey guy today, again, at directif 21com Next up today, Shelf Reliance. Shelf Reliance is one of my favorite companies uh, because not only do they provide long-term storage food, but they provide very innovative storage systems to store it with, allowing you to eat what you store and store what what you eat with their Harvest Series food rotation shelves uh, and their Smaller Pantry Series food rotation shelves. I have some cool videos on the YouTube channel you want to check out to learn more about Shelf Reliance, but check out ShelfReliance.com today. By the way, they were shipping everything within 48 hours, all the food within 48 hours anyway. They're not doing that right now. Why? Because everybody went crazy over the earthquake and uh they're back ordered now so that 48 hour shipping that they had been doing is now put off into you know maybe a week uh shipping time uh for most things uh, they are working hard to get up from behind that eight ball uh, but I think it caught everybody off guard. They've been uh, the the one company in the long-term food storage business that's been able to keep up with demand this year. Uh, but the earthquake has put everybody behind the eight ball. And I guess there are no exceptions to that. But they are doing everything they can to take care of their customers and ship as quickly as humanly possible. So check out ShelfReliance.com today. Start stocking up for those long-term needs. Apparently other people are figuring this stuff out, folks. Uh, next up today, make sure you check out our gear shop. i got a couple things to tell you real quick today. Uh, throughout the rest of this month, if your order is more than $120, there will be free shipping. Also, the old-style TSP t-shirts, the only ones we actually sell in the shop, uh... ourselves the black ones with the tsp logo over the uh, right breast uh... those are actually twelve bucks until they're sold out we're getting out of the t-shirt business in-house so you can get it for twelve bucks they say twenty dollars but when you add them into the cart they only go in at twelve it's kind of a an unadvertised special on facebook and on the show and uh last but not least, when you uh when you're there, check out our Zazzle store. You'll find a Zazzle link on the main site and the Gear Shop link. That's where all our shirts and even uh, glasses and mugs and, and shoes literally TSP shoes. Uh Siswolf did that too. I don't know if I want TSP shoes, but maybe you do. So check out our Zazzle store. Uh you can find again the link on the gear shop and you can find the link. On the main TSP site with that let's go ahead and get into your uh, your questions comments and commentary today so the first one uh, I want to answer because there was a lot of questions about it in general I just picked Troy to answer Troy says hello Jack I'm curious what's your take on this whole government shutdown thing that's going on what kind of impact do you think this will have also do you think this will affect military operations I just enlisted in the army last Wednesday and I was going to I was wondering if it might have an effect on anything in that matter just started hearing about this whole thing a few hours ago. I'm not really sure what to think about the whole thing. Uh, love your show. Thanks for what you do. Okay, um... Well first, if you had email, if I had answered this for you before they reached an agreement uh where both sides capitulated a little bit and compromised uh to do a budget cut that doesn't even freaking matter on, on the grand scale of things, I would have said, if you just enlisted in the army, this isn't your problem, don't worry about it. It's not going to affect you any way, shape, or form. By the time you're off to uh basic training, uh the problem will be solved. So don't even worry about it for yourself personally. Uh as far as how it would have affected our soldiers, uh the cowards on Capitol Hill would have have never allowed one soldier to not get paid for this they would have found a short-term compromise just to pay them uh before they would have let that happen because whoever was seen as guilty would have been fried would have absolutely been fried by voters especially in the congress and the uh, one-third of the senate that's going to have to stand elections in the next election and the ass clown in chief oh i mean president and commander in chief himself uh barack obama um but this is this is more what i wanted to say I listened all week while I was up there in Arkansas on my little 12-inch TV because we haven't taken our big one up there yet, and all we have are our little rabbit ears, and we get like four channels. And all four channels are like local stations with local news. And I listened to sob story after frickin' sob story after frickin' sob story after frickin' sob story of who might not get a check because the government would be shut down. And here's why I sound so irritated about this, and, and here's why even though at the end of today's show I'm going to play for you a comment by a veteran who was asking questions to a congressman who told him basically his comments were caustic, and I'm going to support that veteran, even though I'm going to do that. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Revolutions aren't painless. I am so ever-loving sick of, oh my God, they might shut down the national parks. Some little frickin' kid that went to Boy Scout camp won't be able to go look at the national monument as though he can't see it from the street. He has to walk up to the little rope around it to be able to see it fully. Oh my God, this little old lady might go a week without her Social Security check. Look, I understand, and on some level I sympathize, but do you people, and I know you guys do, but this is what I feel like saying to America right now: Do you people comprehend? Do you freaking understand? On even the most you know tiny level, that we are going into debt, debt every year to the excess of 1.7 trillion dollars of new debt, and these clowns are talking about cuts in the neighborhood of 30 to 60 billion dollars. That's less than 1% of the total budget, and it's less than 1.5% to 2% of the new debt just for this year. We've got to fix it. It's not going to be painless. Some people are going to be pissed off, and some people are not going to get what they think is coming to them. And maybe you won't be able to tour the inner nose of Washington's face on Mount Rushmore. Not that you can actually do that, but you get my point. And as far as the soldiers not getting paid, I think it would be atrocious of it if it happened, because there is no reason for it, but it's not without precedent. You know, we fought this thing called the American Revolution against the British, and there were times when that army that was marching without boots and living through the cold at Valley Forge simply could not be paid until they rectified some problems and scraped up the money so that they could pay them. And some of those men were going to revolt and basically strike, but most of them stayed and fought. So I would feel terrible if any of our soldiers, especially deployed soldiers with spouses back here, counting on that funding, didn't get paid for a week or two. And I would see no reason for it. But I would also say this. When you hear all this sob story, nonsensical bullshit about, oh, this person won't be able to go to this lake. And they had this camp out. There's this place in Arkansas. It's a national park, you know. Uh, we had our camp out planned. If they didn't reach a compromise, we wouldn't be here today. Oh, Oh, my God. Seriously? That's your problem? So there's my take on it. My take on it is, I'm sorry it didn't happen. I wanted it to happen. I wanted the damn government shut down. And whatever anybody was willing to cut, they should have stood their ground until every single penny was cut because all of it wasn't enough. And what we need to do is we need to push spending back to levels around 2000. This 2008, 2008 was too much. You know, if we put spending back to where it was in 2001, and does anybody think we weren't wasting money in government in 2001? If we went back to 2001 levels, you know what we could get rid of? The income tax. So shut it down. It probably saves us over a billion dollars a day with it being shut down. So this this uh, $30 billion problem that they had, shut it down for a month. Shut it down for a month. There's your extra $30 Turn it back on. All right? And I don't want you to think I'm not being... uh. Concern for the troops here, again, I'm going to play you some at the end of today's show that will drive home how concerned for the troops I was. But if, in case you um, you missed it, there will be no shutdown. Uh, government facilities were open Saturday and Sunday, and they're open today because the Republicans compromised. I don't think they should have compromised. Um, because I don't think they were asking for enough to begin with, not because I think they're right. I think they're absolutely wrong to only go for what they went for. And I think it, it doesn't, you know, I guess technically it meets some of their campaign promises. But if we're still dumping a $1.5 trillion deficit every year, we haven't really been serious about anything. One thing to be fair with though, with them, and I don't like to be fair with any politicians because I don't think they deserve it. But one thing to be fair about, this budget was last year's budget. This was supposed to be done before the elections. And the cowardly, cowardly, cowardly Congress pre-election refused to pass the budget because they knew when people saw it, they were going to flip out. So they made it about a government shutdown later instead of doing the business back when it could have been done the right way. All right, let's go on to the next one. This comes from Chris. Chris says uh, NDM-1 was found in the bacteria that causes cholera and dysentery, lending weight to the theory, the theory that it's not solely a hospital-acquired infection, but present in the environment. The research suggested that transfer of NDM-1 between bacteria was the highest at 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit within a range of temperatures for New Delhi for seven months of the year. And then there's a link to an article um, that I'm going to put in today's show notes if you want to read the entire thing. Uh, but basically what they said is they found this superbug, NDM-1, in New Delhi drinking water. Isn't that great? Maybe that's how... See, this is all tied into last week when I did a, a show where I talked about the, the rise of the superbugs. And... What I think it's important for people to understand is unlike MRSA, um, which is a highly resistant, basically, staph infection that is a specific, you know, pathogen that infects, you know, your skin or your blood or wherever you end up getting it, NDM1 is more of a, um, a little nightmare carrier thing that can attach itself to various pathogens, such as cholera or dysentery or MRSA itself. It's like a little added carrier that can move from one disease to the next. And I had a comment or an email from somebody that works in a hospital and said, hey, you know, things like MRSA, most of us are walking around with it in our mouths and on our skin and our bodies every day. It's only the sick and the elderly that get it. First of all, those are the people that go to hospitals, right? So so when you tell me something only kills sick people and old people, I'm like, that doesn't really make it a lot better. But my point with bringing that to you last week wasn't really that – uh, MRSA or NDM-1 or anything like that would be the specific thing that could go and cause a global pandemic, that these developments in diseases, including things like highly resistant forms of tuberculosis and other things that were mentioned in the Rise of the Superbugs article last week, were indicators that nature was on the march and our, our medicine was becoming less and less effective. So now we know that we have NDM1, which is, uh, which is a really net, basically, think about it, so we have a disease that's easily treated, or reasonably easily treated, or, you know, even with some difficulty, something we can consistently treat. And NDM1 is this little carrier that attaches itself to it, causes it to mutate, and makes it highly resistant to treatment, specifically antibiotics. So we take something like cholera and dysentery, which as long as we can keep the person hydrated, uh, treat their diarrhea, and treat the illness, we can pretty much save anybody, especially uh, people with cholera. The main reason people die of cholera in the third world is they dehydrate through diarrhea. So we we actually know how to fix this and treat that illness. Now NDM1 comes along, and it attaches itself, and it makes the cholera harder to treat. That's stage one. What's stage four? I don't know. See, and that's my point. And this is why I believe that we need to be ready for pandemic to be the most probable, wide-scale, global threat that we would ever face. And I'm not saying it's coming tomorrow. I'm not saying it's coming in your lifetime. I'm telling you honestly, because I, I tend to do this, I don't know when it's coming. But I believe that sooner or later it's coming. And when there's something that's not an if but a when, that's something that I tend to prepare for. Now, people were asking last week, well, what do we do? I, you do the same things we talk about to all the time. You prepare to be able to shelter in place or bug out to a remote location and self-quarantine for a period of at least 60 days. Well, what do we do to make sure we're ready for 60 days? You have 60 days worth of food and water. You're halfway there. Right, you have some hygiene items and things like that, basic medical medical supplies, etc. And you have a plan, and you have the right mental preparedness. But if you do the things we talk about every day, and you build survivalism into your lifestyle, which apparently might make you a cultist, we'll talk about that in a bit too. This is a real joke. Um, But if you'll do the basic common sense things that help you live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't, and you build up to a ninety to six ninety day to six month reserve. Of everything you can need—money, food, water, etc.—and you, you know, it's hard to store six months' worth of water. So you have a way to filter the water and make it safe to drink, even during an outbreak and things like that. That's how you get prepared. Um, but I just want to point out these superbugs are not going away, and the situation is not getting any better. And when people say, "Well, it's only the sick, the sick, and the old," uh, when you go to the hospital and they cut you open for a while, you become sick. And that's just fundamental reality. And I think that the problem here, even if this things like, uh, the MRSA, things like specific, uh, carriers of NDM1 stay in the hospital systems, how many people that would get life-saving surgery are gonna, you know, 10 years from now when the stuff is so rampant, decide I'd rather risk not having the surgery than having the surgery. It's going to completely change modern medicine. That was the point of last week's article. So check this one out today. Um, Then I wanted to talk about this. Shane commented on the blog, and he said, TSP has mentioned sustainability frequently and did an adequate job of defining it, but I noticed a rival perspective of sustainability being promoted by Michael Shaw, who who claims the sustainable movement is being used to create a fascist world government. Here's his site. Um, he might be the source of some the knee-jerk hostility that Jack has apparently been dealing with at times. It might be good to address the difference between the Agenda 21 st- st- sustainability, see the link above, and the grassroots movement towards self-reliance that Spirico and TSP promote. Shane, you couldn't be more right. And, and I, wanted, I, I wanted to cover this one today because of something that happened while we were up in Arkansas. One of our neighbors, and these are people I dearly love, folks. I am so happy that these people are becoming my, my true neighbor's when we make this move complete this month, um, but they are a little bit, a little bit too far to one extreme on on a lot of the political issues. Uh, they're more of the people that the Republicans are right versus here's why the Democrats are wrong and here's why the Republicans are wrong as well, and here's how we could actually fix the problem. They gravitate to that right side religiously, politically, economically, the whole thing. Um, which I'm not putting them down, I'm just saying, give me the perspective here. So we're having a talk about a lot of these different things and really, really polite talk about it. And she says to me, Well, and this environmentalism, I don't believe in environmentalism. Maybe you do, but I don't. And I said, That's like saying you don't believe in food, or you don't believe in water, or you don't believe in trees. You know, or you know, you, know, you know, what do you mean you don't believe in it? And I, I didn't really phrase it that way; it was a little softer because I knew what she meant. What she meant is I don't believe in the global warming theorist that says that CO2 is warming up the planet. And what I said is, okay, well we can say and we can debate that, and I actually agree with her on that, as you guys know, I'm not part of the global warming cult. Um, I believe planet gets warmer, it gets colder, it has very little to do with CO2, has a hell of a lot more to do with the sun, and if you want greenhouse gases, water vapor... And methane do a hell of a lot more than CO2 is capable. But let's leave that go. But what I said to her is we can agree that when we blow the entire top of a mountain off to do mountaintop removal mining for coal, and that dumps massive amounts of sulfuric acid into the surrounding groundwater and destroys trout streams that families have been fishing for over, you know, back to the Native Americans thousands of years, and it actually ruins the the, the water completely and kills everything. That's pollution. So, environmentalism means that we would oppose doing something stupid like that. Or, you know, the way we do farming where we completely deplete our soils to nothingness. That would be environmentalism. Then there's environmentalism run amok and used by government. I explain the whole cap and tax trade scheme to this person so that she would understand that I'm not part of the cult and she would understand how bad it really is, but trying to explain the difference. So this Michael Shaw fellow, I haven't had time uh, with everything I've been doing lately to visit his site or, or see what he's up to or anything, but I imagine that I would read uh, 90% of it or more and go, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. And I'm sure there's at least 10 to 15% of it that's, New World Order out there um, stuff. Not that I don't believe in a New World Order type movement, but the you know the problem is I'm guessing. And if I'm doing the man a disservice, I apologize in advance. But I'm guessing there's something about exterminating human beings on this side as well, um, which may be the indirect result of some of these the stupid stuff these guys want to do. Um, but lining us up on you know the yellow line and the blue line, and you're either going to prison or an incinerator. You, you, you guys are freaking nuts. The ones of you that either believe that, but. He's probably right about the core issue, that environmentalism and sustainability is being used by government to implement new taxes and regulations. That is absolutely not what I mean when I say sustainability, environmentalism, and green movement. When I say sustainability, and I mean I'm working with a group of people as an unpaid consultant because I believe in what they're doing that are part of a thing called Project Eden which is designed to turn landfills in cities from places of pollution to sources of gas that we can burn for energy. So I believe in environmentalism and sustainability on a huge level. Now sustainability, I believe that sustainability starts for me. Not for me helping someone else, for me to be sustainable for myself. And if we want to see, but this is where government just parts ways with people like me. You want sustainability, then I say grow your own food on some level. Not because you're worried that somebody had to put asparagus in a truck and ship it from Pennsylvania to you in Colorado. Not because somebody had to put lettuce on a plane and send it to you in Argentina and you're worried about whatever energy was expended to get it there, but because it's better for you to get your asparagus and your lettuce out of your backyard. It's better for you economically, it's better for you as far as your health, it's better for you emotionally, it's better for you spiritually, and it's better for you if the system fails. So since it's better for you on at least six key points, you should be sustainable for yourself. And if we all did that, the big-wig environmentalists, the ones that actually believe their own BS, would get the clean planet they're looking for. See, their marketing's wrong. They're marketing on solar. Oh, we're worried about polar bears and global warming. Put a solar panel on your house. No, how about you figure out how to make the panel as efficient and inexpensively as possible and market the hell out of the fact that it will cut your electric bill and that your, your power will still work if the grid goes down. And how about every single thing that really is green, not fake green, but real green, we market the benefit to the consumer like everything else we sell. And if we do that and we mark sustainability as independence and liberty, maybe we could get somewhere with it. But the powers that be don't want that. So Michael Shaw and I probably agree more than we disagree. But when we take the entire movement and throw it under the bus, we're just not making any sense. Here's my thoughts on that. Let's keep going. Okay, what you're about to hear, and again, this was sent to me by a gentleman named Mark, is a candidate for Ass Clown of the Week. And let's just say, candidate nothing, this is... uh this is, this is Ask Clown of the Week. This is Christina Romer. It's part of an interview that she did on the Daily Ticker. I want you to listen to this interview for a bit, and I'll come back with my thoughts on how moronic this individual actually is.
3: And ...that's out there happening, the American families. What is it that the government can do more that it's not already doing to help people?
1: Uh, I think that's the, the number one question that we should be talking about. You know, we saw the employment report last Friday that still 8.8 percent of American uh, of the American labor force is unemployed. So what are those tools? I mean, I've talked a lot about the Federal Reserve. You know, they're engaged in a second round of quantitative easing, but they've made it pretty clear that it's going to stop in June as planned. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's, it, the evidence is that it's been very effective and certainly QE1 was very effective. Uh, I don't understand why we'd be dialing back that tool because I think it is, uh, certainly very helpful. Let's, let's the talk about the, thing is,
3: well let's talk about the I'm Fed sure. a little bit more because I think a lot of people would say the Fed's been very effective at helping the financial markets and helping people at the upper end of, of income scale, but there hasn't really been a translation into wage growth, certainly for the average worker or substantial hiring. So why would the Fed doing be doing more help average Americans?
1: Oh, because if you, in fact, look at what quantitative easing does, it tends to lower long-term interest rates. It tends to lower the price of the dollar. Both of those things are good for ordinary families. A Lower long-term interest rates means firms can do investment. It means it's easier for uh, consumers to afford borrowing. So that tends to encourage spending. And when people spend, that puts people back to work. A lower price of the dollar tends to make our goods more competitive in foreign markets, so we export more. If we're exporting more, we need more workers to produce it. So absolutely, those policies can help ordinary people. That's, that's you know, the, the ultimate goal for...
2: Okay, and the interview goes on for five more minutes of mindless drivel. When You can read the summary on the article or listen to the whole thing if you'd like to. I'll provide a link in today's show notes. But I really wanted to talk about the fact that the people that are in charge actually believe their own bullshit with things like this here's the deal uh what she's saying there and this is the part that you know made the person send it and it made me agree uh with mark that this is ask clown of the week a weaker dollar is good for us now, let's talk about all the ways that we get this argument and why they're all total bullshit. Uh, first of all, the big the big thing, and I even had a guy that was at Harvard MBA and a business mentor of mine one time explain to me how a weaker dollar was good for us when we were selling computer hardware uh, because it made our money cheaper. And that meant that when we were selling into markets uh, that either, are like our own here domestically, that imported from somewhere that we were competing with, uh, that, that it put them at a disadvantage, or we, for especially our international guys selling abroad, that it was a big advantage for them because we were producing cheaper and so- selling it somewhere else. Here's the problem with that theory. Uh, the number one place that we import our goods from is China. No matter how weak we make the dollar, Miss Romer, no matter how weak we make the dollar... Um, they move their currency lockstep with ours. They have it pegged to the dollar. If we weaken by 10% within a fraction of a the day, they weaken by 10%. If we strengthen by 1%, within a fraction of a the day, they strengthen. If you go look at the Chinese currency and the US currency, you'll see them moving in lockstep with each other. Why? The Chinese do that on purpose. We could say it's right, we could say it's wrong, but one thing we do know if they're the number one place we import goods from, then when we decrease the power of our dollar, it does us no good on the importation business at all. You could say it doesn't do us any harm, but it certainly doesn't do us any good on goods from China, which is the biggest segment of our imports. So it, it, that kind of screws the rest of the stuff up. You know why? Because all the places that we compete to sell stuff into, our biggest competitor in the exportation market is China. I don't know if you know this or not, Mr. Romer, but in France, there's plenty of Chinese-made crap on the store shelves. So the number one thing that we would compete to get our, our, our compete with is actually in lockstep. So the only thing we do when we weaken the dollar, really for the average American that this pinhead thinks it helps, is we inflate the dollar. Which means we weaken their spending power, which means the $450 that dad is killing himself to make every week, just killing himself for, because he's a lower middle class guy and he's a blue collar guy, he's working his ass off for that $450, buys less. Right? Now how is that good? How is that good? As far as long term interest rates, they're in the floor right now. This is, this is lunacy. This concept of a weaker dollar being good for America, it only works on paper, and it only works if you ignore facts. Let me put it in a way that you can't possibly misunderstand. If I weaken the power of the dollar through quantitative easing, which she seems to think we should just keep doing it. Remember, that's printing money. But if that's what I'm going to do, and throughout the rest of 2011, I'm going to weaken the dollar by 5%, or a nickel, from this point forward, through December 31st, 2011, uh, by keeping that faucet on, and that's supposed to help the average American. That would be the same thing, the exact same thing. If I walked up to you and said, "Hey, Tom, hey, Dave, hey, Mary, hey, Sue, whatever your name is," I'll tell you what. How much money do you have in your pocket? And you said, "I have a hundred dollars." And I said, "Fine, give me your hundred dollars. I'll give you ninety-five dollars." How much money do you have in the bank? We have $10,000 in the bank. Fine, give me your $10,000, I'll give you $9,500. And I talked to somebody else. We have 100,000. Great. Here's 95,000, give me your 100,000. And I took the 100,000 out of the economy altogether and you were left with 95. How many Americans do you think would sign up for that? I'd like every I'd like, I'd like the government to take away one nickel of every dollar that I have, not in a, t- a direct tax, but in an indirect tax designed to make my economy better because it's supposed to stimulate spending and create new jobs. Does that sound like the stupidest thing you've ever heard? Well, folks, when the Fed prints money and devalues the money in the system by 5% over the year... It's the same thing, or 1%. People say, well, in real inflation, if you if you pay attention to the statistics that the government provides, Jack, it's only about 2% this year. Okay, well, first of all, those statistics are bullshit, because they ignore energy and food, the two things people spend the most of their budgets on, other than housing, all right? So, since we now ignore those, it's easy to make inflation look a lot flatter than it is, but even if it's 2%, Great, you think that's good? Tell you what, buddy. Bring me your money, and I'll give you 98 cents on the dollar for your money. And I will buy as much of your money at that rate as you can possibly come up with. You going to sign up for that, 99 cents on the dollar? Are you going to give away one, two, five percent of your money to me to make the economy better? Does that work? Does it make your economy better? You know whose economy it would make better? Mine. It would make my economy great. If I could buy dollars for 95 cents, from as many people as I possibly could, I could live a really great life, couldn't I? Think about that. What a business. Think about you set it up tomorrow, Jane Co. or Jack Co. or Mary Co. or whatever your name is. Put a co after your name. This would be your business model. You would sit and people would bring you money and say, here's a thousand dollars, and you'd go, Great, here's nine hundred and fifty dollars beyond your way. Here's a hundred dollars, great, here's ninety five dollars beyond your way. Here's a million dollars. Great, here's $950,000 beyond your way. How long would you have to do that to become one of the wealthiest people on the planet? Now, what, new entrepreneur that buys dollars for 95 cents on the dollar, what if you controlled the system that allowed you to do that to people without them even knowing it's what you were doing? You wonder why our economy screwed up? You wonder why we're running a $1.7 trillion deficit? There you go. That's how the system works, and I don't care that this lady went to Vanderbilt. She's also the former top advisor to Obama on the economy. How's that working out for us? And at least she's former. I mean, the lady, obviously, she is an absolute dyed-in-the-wool believer in Keynesian theory, which you, you have to be a little bit retarded to believe in the long-term sustainability, there's that word, sustainability, of Keynesian economics doesn't make any sense. If you think about it short term, you can spur things with Keynesianism. It will work. If I give a drunk person a credit card, that was a bum laying on the street, a $20,000 Amex, gold card, and say, here you go, buddy, do what you like with it, go on, uh, he'll look really good in a couple days if he doesn't kill himself from drinking too much. But he'll probably have a nice place to live, he'll have a new suit of clothes on, he'll have taken a bath, he'll shave, he'll look good. He'll go from drinking gutter wine like Mad Dog 2020 in the streets to drinking martinis in a bar. But sooner or later, somebody has to pay the bill. And the people that are taking the money, they ain't never going to pay the bill. You're going to pay the bill with your 95 out of $100 left over. And she thinks this is good for the economy as a whole and for the nation as a whole. Uh, the entire concept of weakening our money, making us better at, at, at selling exports, is just plain stupid. Yes, there are places where it's true. Okay. Right now, if I'm selling something to the UK, especially a non-tangible that I don't have to ship, I, yeah, it's an easy sell because their pound is so much stronger than our dollar. But that is not a, that is not going to be enough to change radically change the American economy. If we're going to radically change the American economy, the way to do that is to be sustainable for ourselves in our own nation and make more of what we use here and import the things that are below uh, the the common sense reason to make here. I don't care that we import knickknacks and and doodads from China as long as they're quality knickknacks and doodads. But the main drivers are of our economy. We should be building them here. Not to punish the Chinese. Not because the Chinese are evil, but because we're freaking America, we can do it. You know, we don't have Chinese people coming over to build our houses. I guess we have illegal immigrants doing that now. You know? But at least we we build them here. We don't import our houses And I think that some of the stuff we're importing makes about as much sense as importing a house. But I'll tell you one thing. If I take a nickel out of every dollar you have once a year, I become wealthy because I can do it to everybody, all 300 million of you out there. And you become more poor. And that's what a weaker dollar is. That's as simple as I can make it. Let's take another one. Here's one that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't even anger me because I understand stupidity. Uh, It comes from Tom. Tom says, Hey Jack, came across this unbelievable article slideshow on CNBC website today that listed famous cult leaders and the like. Can you believe they included Jim Rawls and all other preppers indirectly as defaulto cult members? Here's the link, and I'll put a link to this so you can look at it, and they have some other typical nut jobs in there, but number 9 of 10 is James Rawls and and the survivalists. I guess that includes me and you, whether or not we agree with everything Jim says or not, because apparently when you read this, we don't think for ourselves at all. Let me read the, the synopsis, and so let me give you my actual thoughts on this. James Rawls and the Survivalists. Somewhere outside the realm of religious prophets are survivalists who are convinced doom is certain, imminent, and they must be prepared. Dominating the survivalist underground blogosphere is the editor of survivalblog.com. is James Rawls, who wrote How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It, presumably holed up in a remote farm and what he calls the hinter boonies. Rawls' version of impending doom involves a vaguely defined socioeconomic collapse caused initially by a power grid failure. The power grid is the real linchpin of society. It fuels our economy and controls uh, and controls all automatic ordering systems. Without it, our economy would just shut down. In winter, you see a mass out a mass out migration from the cities as refugees flood to the countryside. So, is he wrong? I mean, they talk about this guy, he's nuts, and Rawls and I agree, we overlap probably about 80-85% to of the times, and then there's places I think he's too extreme, and there's probably places he thinks I'm not extreme enough, I would imagine, I don't want to speak for the guy, but overall, I like Rawls, is he wrong about that, if we shut the grid down, would people not migrate out of the cities? I mean, don't you think that at least some of the people would? Is it not true that the grid controls? Let me read the rest of it, and we'll go. So how do survivalists prepare? Rawls says any prepper worth his salt has a self-sufficient retreat replete with stored firewater coal. With years' worth of food stores, the serious ones have their own gardens and livestock. It's important to be well-armed and take advanced medical training. And that's quoted, which he probably did say. Yet for Rawls and his followers, preparing for the worst is a lifestyle he adds proudly. Just today, I was out of my barn getting ready for the delivery of a new dairy cow. How insane! How I mean, that's a cult member, right? He has a cow. He has a cow. Oh my god! Like they have cows. They have cows. They have. You know what else they have? They've got chickens. They're nuts. They they eat eggs. that come right out of the chicken spot. I mean, this is this is the mentality. But you want to know why? James Rawls was included in this list of ten because they don't make lists of nine or eight. They make lists of ten. And some journalism student was put on this to research and find ten cult leaders. And that's what the journalism student found. And then the author took it and said, yeah, I can run with that. So, of course, this is how they do. I'll also say this, to be fair, to CNBC. If you are a normal person as society defines normal, which I see is extremely abnormal, you know, because you live in debt, you think that's a good thing, you believe people like the last idiot that we just had on that says a weaker dollar is good for America, you don't understand money, you don't understand government, you don't understand the Constitution, you're a typical average person, just like most of us were maybe not so long ago. Just walking through life and working for a living and putting money in the 401k and believing in the dream. And you come across a guy like Rawls, who even for me is a bit out there on a few things and maybe overemphasizes on some levels the tactical militant components, but the guy is a former Army intelligence officer, what do you expect, who's also very strong in his faith. So strong that even I go once in a while, hey, pull back on that a little bit and and, you know, don't make people feel like if they don't believe what you believe that they're not as good as you are because I don't believe that's the way that it works. I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, and hopefully we'll all get somewhere good together if we believe in core principles of our nation. So if you're looking at him that way, he looks kind of nuts. You know why? Because I look nuts and he looks more nuts than me. Now, you and I can look and go, James is just an American living within his rights with certain opinions, not all of which I agree with, but that's how most people are. We don't agree with everything everybody has to say. But the reality is we're not going to be understood by people who do not wish to understand us. And, and that's just okay. And I'm not real upset about this. I'm not real surprised by this. Um, but I do find it ironic that believing in things like being prepared for disasters, uh, having a cow that you would have as a dairy cow that you would get your own food from, uh, to actually live the way that everybody lived 100 years ago, is now considered to be part of a cult. And this is why I don't trust the media. And this is why I don't give a lot of interviews to mainstream media. That's the dogs that are upset because the painters are just now getting here. Let me rock on, though. Um, this is, uh, this is a one from Brent. Brent says, can you use wall-mounted LCD mounts to mount solar panels? Long, I have 1,500 watts of solar panels up here in Prince Edward Island, and I'm out of room on my shed. So I thought, hey, why not buy one of those LCD wall mounts and mount a solar panel to it? Hey, they tilt, hold about 30 pounds, and it's cheaper than most of the mounts they sell on the web at $500. I could spray paint them to prevent rusting. A novel idea, I'd say, uh, Brent. I think the only way you're going to know is to try it. Um, I want not do a major installation with them because here's the thing. They are not designed to be outside. And most of them are painted, and they're painted with kind of this really shiny paint. So if, if you wanted to ask me kind of how to do this right, um, I would say either sandblast them and paint them with a with a more uh, rugged, outdoor-style flat paint that's designed to, to hold up, or just stick them out there and see what happens. And if the paint starts to fall off them, keep repainting them, and they, they'll probably do just fine. But I think the only way we're going to find that out is for you to try it. The load, As long as the load bearing's right, and uh, you can figure out how to get them to mount onto there that you know that there's a because they 're designed to fit standard dimensions of a TV set but i 'm sure you could rig something up to do that i don 't see why it couldn 't be done and because they do tilt and sway and have swing arms and stuff they could be manually uh, set to track sun at key parts of the day so uh, give it a shot i wouldn't i wouldn 't say that it 's anything um, anything out of the question. The next one comes from Dennis, and Dennis was actually just requesting the Safe Castle Discount Club for the MSB. But in his uh, his, his uh, signature was a quote that I wanted to read to you today. And after I read it to you, I want to tell you who said it, because I think it might surprise a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of people maybe on the, the left and a lot of people on the very far right. Uh, but let me just read it to you. By calling attention to a well, well-regulated militia, the security of the nation, and the right of each citizen to keep and bear arms. Our founding fathers recognized the essentially civilian nature of our economy. Although it is extremely unlikely that the fears of government tyranny, which gave rise to the Second Amendment, will ever be a major danger to our nation. The amendment still remains an important declaration of our basic civilian-military relationships in which every citizen must be ready to participate in the defense of the country. For that reason, I believe the Second Amendment will always be important. Who do you think said that? Senator, at the time, John Fitzgerald Kennedy also known as Jack Kennedy. Those of you that go, hey, how come when I send you money in PayPal for the MSB, it says John and you're Jack? Uh, because I was always called Jack, but I was named John, just like John Kennedy. Not something I'm really proud of, but my family, uh, especially my grandparents, were quite enamored with Mr. Kennedy, and that was probably the reason that it happened. But John called Jack is a very common thing. But think about that. John Kennedy, who is one of the... Um, I mean, just the most idolized members on the left made that statement. I just thought I'd drop that one on you today. Next, uh, this comes from Matthew. Matthew says, just listening to your thoughts on guns, I know you're a big fan of handy rifles. I've never heard you mention the Thompson Center Encore single-shot rifles. Any particular reason? Is it the expense? Thanks, Matthew um, from Georgia. Matthew from Georgia, the answer is because I don't own any. And I tend not to really speak a lot about a weapon that I haven't used a lot and don't own. My experience, though, from other owners of the Thompson Centers are a great rifle, and they have one huge advantage over the Handy Rifle. Actually, two, I'd say. Uh, number one, they are all made to the exact same tolerances, unlike the Handy Rifle. So if I have my Handy Rifle that I bought in, let's say, 22 Hornet, and I want to get a thirty oh six 6 barrel for it, no problem. But I've got to pack up the receiver, and I've got to ship that off to NEF H&R Marlin, who owns the company now is Marlin Firearms. And then they have to fit the barrel to the frame to make sure that the, the tolerances are right. If I have a Thompson Center and I want a new barrel uh, for, let's say, a 030 or my like Thompson Center, I can just go to any catalog or any place that sells the barrels, and since the gun is the receiver, without any kind of paperwork or anything, I can just order a barrel, it'll show up, I can snap it on, and it works. So one requires me to give up my gun, you know, not in a bad way, uh, but for three to four weeks while Marlin fits a barrel to it, and the other one lets me just throw anything I want on there without having to worry about tolerances, which I think is a big advantage. The other one is because Thompson Center works that way. If you want something like a thirty Herit, uh or a, uh, a uh, what do you know, like a four forty four JDJ. Or you know any of these weird wildcats. There's tons of aftermarket barrels in these weird wildcats. So if you're a wildcatter, which is you know a cartridge based on another cartridge that's not commonly available, uh, and, and, and in general, there's a lot more choices. There's basically nothing that could go in a Thompson uh, Thompson uh, uh, a Thompson Center Encore that's not available. So it's a greater availability of cartridges and uh, the ability to just get barrels without having to send your, your rifle in. I, I do want to make sure people understand one thing about the NNF, NEF H&R Handy Rifle, though. Uh, you do not have to send the rifle in to every time you want to change it just to get the barrel. Changing it is something you can do yourself in about five seconds. You take one screw out, you pull the forearm off, you hit the release, the barrel lifts out, you put the new barrel in, you snap it closed, you slap the forearm back on, you put the screw on it, it takes less time than it did for me to explain it. The Thompson Center works very, very, very similar. So both of them are very cool. Now, the expense actually does matter. Why? Because I can buy a handy rifle, the rifle itself and any, any cartridge I want, a couple shotgun barrels and probably another rifle barrel. And still pay less than just the Thompson Center initially, or still pay less than one additional barrel. And I think they're just as high quality as a tool, as a rifle, uh, as far as accuracy and, and, and build and everything else. So the, what you're giving up for paying a hell of a lot less money is the ability to order off-the-shelf barrels. So it depends on how much you're going to order. I mean, face it, if you do it one time, you send your frame in for three weeks, they send it back with, with all the barrels you want on it, you have it forever, you never have to send it away again. And that lets you shoot a bunch of different calibers and stuff. Both of them, though, I think are kind of, you know, in a good way, using the word cultist, right there's There's something that you have kind of an obsession for, and it's it's they're great guns for somebody that likes to tinker with things and likes to shoot a lot of different calibers without making a huge investment in it. If you wanted a super high quality one, one rifle does it all rifle. You'd be you'd be better served by something like a Savage 110 or a Winchester Model 70 or a Ruger or a Remington 700 or or you know a Seiko or any of the good quality sportsman rifles out there, a bolt action rifle or something like a, a Remington pump or a Remington semi auto or a Browning automatic. I mean, all of them are are going to probably be a better suited. You know center fire one gun does it all across North America. Not that the handy won 't do it a thirty o six is a thirty o six but as accurate as you can make them, the consistency is not there up with uh, with with some of the more expensive and, and better built weapons like the savages, the Winchester the Remington etc. and you know it is a single shot of things like that, but I love mine, so just some thoughts there let's go ahead and uh, take another one. So the next question comes from Steve, and Steve says. Ah, uh, let me get it so I get it right. I've heard that you cannot use oak leaves in your compost. I was wondering if this is true because my yard is full of oaks. I would like to use them if I can. There's absolutely no reason, and I mean none, that you can't compost oak leaves. Uh, and in fact, oak leaves kind of chopped up and left in a pile eventually will form a leaf mold. It's one of the best amendments you can make to your garden ever. Uh, there's, I, I don't know where this concept of you can't use oaks come from. I've even heard the extreme that you can't feed acorns to a chicken because it'll kill the chicken with the uh, the, uh, the tannins that are in the acorns. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, so whatever hang-ups that any of you guys might have about oaks, you get over them and uh, just rock on with life. Now, if you were to feed a chicken, this is the one thing that is true, if you were to feed a chicken, nothing but red acorn, first you'd have to starve it to get it to be willing to eat red acorn in any quantity because it is so tannic and bitter. Uh, but once you did, you could actually cause tannic poisoning uh, at that point. But if you feed chickens white acorns, which they'll readily eat if they're available to them, it's a great thing to add to their diet. And I don't know where this myth uh, that acorns will kill chickens came from either because it's just that. It's a myth. As far as the red acorn, you don't have to worry about it because they're not going to eat them because they don't like them. Uh, additionally, the main thing you'll see chickens do around acorns, they're not real good at getting into them. So mostly what they'll do is the ones that have holes in them with a weevil in there, they'll peck the hell out of that and get that little weevil out and eat them. That's another great source of protein for them. But bur- during the Great Depression, uh, farmers fed their chicken flocks as much as 50% of their diet from acorn, and they did quite well. Uh, some of the most expensive ham in the world, uh, uh, Hamony bierco, uh, from Spain are these these black hogs and uh, uh, the one that's uh, the most expensive is the uh, jamón ibérico de la bolta and the de la bolta are uh, actually uh, fed on acorns exclusively and fattened on acorns and it's the most delicious ham on the planet um, so acorns, oaks, good for livestock good for the garden, good for compost rock on with that again, I, I don't really know where the myth came from other than um, if you were to feed anything too much of a tannin, uh, it can become dangerous and, but it would take an awful lot and it'd have to be almost exclusive. And again, to get something to eat that, you'd have to, uh, uh, to the, the exclusion of everything else, you would have to like take everything else away and literally starve them onto it. Uh, let's go take, uh, this one more. I want you guys to hear this. This is, uh, this is infuriating. It's really not that bad until one little thing gets injected by this congressional ass clown. Uh, so let me play this for you now. This is a 27-year uh, a veteran at a uh, town hall-style meeting with his, uh, his congressman.
0: Agency, what, I'm you... a 27-year veteran, disabled veteran.
3: Mm-hmm. And on
0: behalf of all the active-duty deployed troops... Let me ask the first question, and that is, why are you here tonight and not in Congress trying to figure out how to stop this from happening? Because I don't understand, the only thing that you've talked about tonight is the eventuality of it happening. When I, I recorded the C-SPAN and watched that, both sides of the aisle, sat there in Congress and all they talked about is whose fault was it? It's your fault, it's your fault, this is why we can't do this. Both sides threw the troops up and saying how they support them and everything like that. And yet here we are in the 11th hour, okay, and the troops are not going to get paid, they're, they're only going to get paid for through the 8th, okay, and there are troops that are barely making enough money, who have their spouses deployed, and that's gonna cause an extreme hardship. So I don't understand why every person in Congress is not in Congress tonight. I don't understand how you can stand up there and try to justify that this thing may actually go longer because Congress is on vacation. That is absurd. And there are ways for the Congress to be called into emergency session by the President. So if that's not used, that is totally unsatisfactory. But I don't understand why the entire Congress is not there. And you said you're ready to work this weekend. Did you work last weekend? Where was Congress last weekend? Why is everything now in the 11th hour? And I have not heard one thing from you or from any congressman on, let's say the government does shut down, now what are you going to do to get it going again and pass it? Now one thing you've said tonight is what is at the end of the road. And if you think people are disturbed about it shutting down, Wait to hear how disturbed they are. Waiting to find out when it goes back on, especially when Congress is on vacation. All right. Thank
3: you. All right uh, I will respond, and uh, if uh, if you served your country uh, in the military for 27 years. I thank you for that service, sir. Uh, The the majority, which is now the Republican majority, I'm not part of the majority, as you undoubtedly know, uh, they determine when the Congress is in session, when it recesses for the day, and what the agenda for the day is. They control the Rules Committee. They determine how much time you have for debate on each bill and which, what bill will be considered. If they will open the Congress now, which i urge them to do, but of course that's their prerogative, I can be there within minutes and would be there within minutes. There's not much point to my standing in an empty chamber, though, through the evening, is there? It seems to me there is a point in making myself available for people who want to make cost of comments as well as people who have legitimate questions to ask as to what might happen if there is a government
0: shutdown. I this take exception the- to calling well, my fine. comment Now policy. I'm talking, and you can sit down when I'm, you finish. I really do take exception to I'm today, sure you do. Because yeah. I, I didn't say anything I- caustic. All right. Can you explain why the troops are not going to get paid? All right, yes. I Can, can you tell explain you how I... they will get paid? Sir, you had an opportunity to speak. Now it's time to sit will down. Will I take exception to you calling my comments? Costly. Sit down, please.
3: Or you can leave if you don't want to listen to the question. I suspect it was a rhetorical question, so uh, you made your point, and now you can leave unless you want to sit
0: down and listen. i like to
2: the, uh, the representative there was uh, Jim Moran, a Democrat from Virginia, and I don't care if he's a Democrat or Republican or a Tea Party or anything. You don't speak like that to a man that served his country to 27 years and asked you a legitimate question. You don't say his question was rhetorical. I don't think it was rhetorical. Did he sound like he wanted an answer? I think he did. And I don't think it's caustic to say, hey, you clowns are blaming each other. Why don't you fix the problem? Now, let's let's pick apart Jim Moran here, because actually... Actually, if you were a a dyed in the wool supporter of this guy, you'd think, hey, he made a legitimate point. Uh, Congress isn't in session. That's the Republicans' fault. Uh, What else could he do except other than being trying to get, you know, a a nice pretty little uh, uh, photo shoot going on with his town hall meeting like he actually cares? How about this? How about this, Jim Moran? How about this? Even though they're not in session, how about you pick that thing up called a phone, you know, the one the people of the country provide for you and, and pay the bill for you on? And how about you call all your other clowns and start working a deal without actually having to be in the chambers? How about you say, hey, you know what? One thing we can all agree on, we've got to pay the troops. So why don't we just come together and say the troops are going to get paid? And then we can fight over everything else. Because we're not looking to cut any money from there anyway. Nobody's proposing any cuts from there. So why don't we just pass that piece of the budget, and then we can fight about everything else. Because why? Because both sides of the aisle wanted to use the troops as, as a toy. As a punching bag. It's something to, to, to hold up and go, look at, they're not going to pay the soldiers. You know what I wish? I wish all of the soldiers would have thought for a moment about what you guys were doing. And, and collectively, all of them, the Marines, the airmen, the, the, the soldiers, right the, 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 the Navy, all of them, would have all collectively just held up their middle finger to you and used the F word the way only a military man can, followed by you. Fix the country. This is what we're defending anyway. We, can, You know what? We're big boys. We can go a week or two. Fix the country. I don't think they should have had to. I wish they would have done it. I don't think there's anything that would have solidified this country like that if all of them would have just said to you, F off. Now this individual here, if I ever got to speak to him, I would tell him that to his face. To say that a man who served his country for 27 years is simply asked, why are, why are our soldiers not going to get paid? What are you going to do to fix it? It's being caustic and that the question was rhetorical. Shows you how these people think. They think they are rulers and we are servants. They have it backwards. Folks, it's time for us to send them that message very clearly. Simply voting them out of office isn't going to do it. We're going to have to vote them out of office over and over and over and over again. And people are going to have to get over their little pet issues. But like I started with about this whole government shutdown thing, the thing this nation needs to understand, we're in a hole. We're in a deep hole. And we lived like a bunch of partying rock stars for decades. As a nation. And I know some of you didn't. But the nation did. And the hangover has to come. And it's gonna suck. And revolutions aren't painless. And it is time for a revolution in this country. A revolution where we say we've got to stop the insanity. We've got to fix the problems. We can't keep spending money we don't have. Nobody with a brain disagrees with that. Nobody with a brain disagrees with that. We have got to stop spending money we don't have. So it's going to hurt. Some things are not going to be easy. At some point in time, we're going to have to shut the government down if we're going to fix it. And somebody, some little Boy Scout's not going to be able to go on a camping trip when that happens. we will have to go to a state park instead of a, a national park, or whatever. And if that's the biggest sacrifice we have to make, come on, let's be adults. Let's be grown-ups. Let's pull our pants up and tighten our belts and say, hey, you know what? We messed it up. We're going to fix it. And in some some ways, it's going to hurt. But not paying our troops, if these clowns, either side, Wanted to fix it. They would have come to the table with a very simple provision pay the soldiers. Not what the Republicans did, pay the soldiers, but we're going to cut Planned Parenthood. I don't care about Planned Parenthood. I don't care. You want to cut it? Fine. It's a rounding error in the budget, though. It doesn't even make a difference in the budget. I understand many people have very, very strong feelings about your tax money being used for that. I can say that about 90% of the things the government does with my money, I don't want them doing with it. So I feel the same way you do. But if you really care about the troops, and you're not just saber-rattling and trying to make a dog and pony show for everybody, then the two sides come together and go, this is one thing we absolutely agree on. You leave all your other crap about it, you fight about that somewhere else, shut the damn government down, and pay the people that are deployed overseas them because they're risking their lives. And it's absolutely sinful that we can do it and that we wouldn't do it. But I also told you it was never going to happen because neither side had the stomach for it. Neither side was willing to risk who was going to get the blame. And the cowards capitulated on both sides just like I said they would and neither one asked for enough. What does that mean? That means that you have to live your life sustainably. That means that you have to live your life in liberty. That means that you have to do all the things we talk about doing every day right here because they're not ready to do it for you yet. And you know why they're not ready to do it for you yet? Even though you're willing to stand up and say, I can make it, close it down if we have to, let's fix it, let's go through the pain, let's make it what it used to be, let's rebuild this country, most of your fellow citizens aren't ready yet. When they're ready, that's when the government will act. Right now, it's not the government defying the people as hard as it may be for you to believe, because you're awake and aware. It's government following the will of the majority of the people who are still asleep. While they slumber, you be awake, you build your life. And with that, this has been Jack Spiro with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. our food
0: these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget